I put my hope in having children. I put my hope in my health. I put my hope in having the perfect marriage and having the perfect family. Experiencing infertility was difficult and lonely and sad, but I just kept clinging onto that hope that children were in my future. I was in perfect health till I was 70 years old, and then suddenly things went south with stage four cancer and a variety of operations and so on. The most recent of which was was the amputation of my arm due to cancer growth. I've never been one to call on, on somebody to do something for me unless I had to. Everything was on track, and all of my plans and hopes for my life were falling into place. And then about two months into my pregnancy, my husband told me he was done. And he wanted a different woman and a different life. All of my hopes and dreams for my life were broken. During the time of infertility, um, it was a time of hopelessness, wanting them so desperately and not being given that at the time that I thought was right. It was a constant reminder that you're not pregnant again. And, you know, nothing seemed to provide the hope that I needed during that time. Listen, like I got saved at four and like lived the perfect Christian life and went to Bible college and did have sex before I got married and did everything right. I didn't realize how far misplaced my hope had been. My legs uh, deteriorated. I couldn't use them. In the hospital for, for four months, I faced two near-death experiences. The question becomes, once that falls apart, can you still retain the hope and the strength that you need to see your way through that. They can take your ability to, to walk a straight line or even take your arm, but they cannot take your faith. They can't take away your hope, and they can't take your obedience to God. You hang on to that, and the rest of it falls into place. There was no hope that this world was offering for me to have a child. But then I had rest in knowing he loved me enough to already have a plan for my life, whether that involved children or not. And hey, now we have four kids. <laughs> and I wouldn't trade the life that I had, that I thought I had, this perfect life, for the actual relationship that I have with God now. To be on the other side enough to know that my hope is in my God and I don't need to hope at anything else. Today we light the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. The flame represents the growing anticipation and radiant hope within us. As we light this candle, may our hearts ignite with the flame of hope, illuminating our path through this Advent season. In a world marred by brokenness, we hold on to hope anchored in the promise of a Messiah, the hope that dwelled in the hearts of those waiting for the, his arrival. These ancient words of the prophet Isaiah, spoken centuries before they came to pass, gave hope and promise. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It was the promise of salvation, 
and a promise of God's very presence with us. Jesus, the fulfillment of this promise, arrived as Emmanuel, God with us. Through his birth, life, and death and resurrection, he offers us the hope of redemption and eternal life. In him we find peace, strength, and the confident assurance that our hope is not in vain. As we journey through this Advent season, let's hold on to the hope found only in Christ. Despite the challenges we face, our hope remains secure because of the unwavering love and faithfulness of our God. Holy God, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. As we set out on this Advent journey, fill our hearts with eager anticipation and renewed hope. Help us fix our gaze on him, who is our hope, our joy, and our ultimate source of fulfillment. Guide us through this season and empower us to share the hope of Christ with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good morning and Merry Christmas. Oh, you guys, that was weak. But it's the first Sunday of Advent. I'll give it to you. Let's try it again. Merry Christmas. There you go. <laughs> we are super excited to be able to, to open up the season of Advent, to be able to honor God, to worship Him, and, and celebrate hope. And that's going to be our message today, really looking at, at finding the solution. Where does the, the weary heart Go to find hope, and we're gonna we're gonna find that answer in God's word this morning. God, I thank you for your your blessed gift that you've given to us, your love and mercy that is so new every day, and that hope. Even as we're gonna study today, that hope that is poured afresh in our hearts by the Holy Spirit every day. Lord, this world is weary. People in this room are weary. They need the freshness of You, Holy Spirit, moving in and through their life. And as we come before You and worship You now, we cast our cares upon You because You care for us. We honor You with our voices, our lives, our attention, and even the first fruits of that which You've given to us for Your kingdom's sake. We praise You and we thank You for the blessed gifts You've given to us. Lord, we pray for those that are in Israel that are suffering even now. And we pray that you, Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, would come soon. 
But till then, may we be worshiping you as your kids. In Jesus' name, amen.
For the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the idea of the weary world rejoicing and preparing for this this season and this time. You know, I really felt that God was laying on my heart this, how do we develop confidence in a time of just feeling worn out? In talking with people, it seems to be a common condition where people, you, you talk to me, how are you doing? I'm just, I'm tired. You feeling it? Just kind of wore out. And, and so many people are just wore out. And then you get into the holidays and you get into the shopping and, and all of the different things. And Christmas finally shows up and, and you're like, I am just wore out. And, and it's really hard in, in the state of the condition of the world, our environment, our society, and all the different things that are going on, people are wore out. So if my role as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which it is, I thought we would focus on how to give to people solutions for, for feeling wore out, that, that weariness. And in order to be able to do that, first, you've got to preach the message to yourself before you can actually share it with somebody else. And so, as we work through this, you know, this is not one of those Uncle George sermons. You guys know what an Uncle George sermon is, right? It, an Uncle George sermon is where you're sitting in church and you go, man, that's a great message. I wish my Uncle George was here to hear it. <laughs> no, it's a message for you within this. So a couple of questions. What wearies your soul? What wearies your soul? What in life has created a burden that, that is wearing you down? That constant pain. And you think about, like, what does weary really feel like? Have you ever felt like you're just like treading through concrete? Like wet cement. You're just trying to get through the day, to move forward. And, and in that time, a person described this 
condition as you have no energy to move forward. You don't want to talk to anyone. But at the same time, you feel lonely. You wake up in the morning and you can't wait for night to come to go back to sleep. That's weary. That's weary where you get to that place. And we look at our world. The weary world. They're depressed. Isolated. Mocked. Mourning. The prisoner. The poor. The unfortunate. The sick. The orphan. The homeless. The weak. The victims. These are all people that have different pressures and oppressions that come upon them that just wear you down. And in a godless society, there is nowhere to go. Well, actually, there is. But they push God to the margins so far that the weary look for hope and they can't find hope. They can't find the solution. They're wore out. So where does the weary go to find hope? To find joy, to find peace, to find love. If you're in the world, the weary will go for all the secular solutions to try to find those things. Maybe they're going to go after money or relationships or jobs or, or possessions or all of these other things. Is that ever going to lift the weariness of life? No. They're placebos. They're... They, they promise, overpromise, and they underpay within this. So I got to thinking, what is, when it comes to hope, what is the common denominator for the weary person? That's the loss of hope or hopelessness within this. To become overwhelmed within this. Hope by def, the hopelessness by definition is this. It's the absolute loss of any expectation of good. When you get to a place where you become hopeless, where you actually lose the idea that anything good will ever happen to me in my life. That my condition, this good, will never come about, it will never change. That I'm stuck. Do you know people like that? Have you ever felt that? I'm sure we all have at one point or another within this. But the God of hope, as we're going to learn this morning, inspires us with hope. There is a path to have hope. There is a path out of the darkness and despair and into God's marvelous light. My desire this morning is, as we go through these passages, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you these truths, not just for you and your life, but that you can illuminate hope in the lives of others by bringing people to these truths. Because it is the only truth for hope. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through one of our sections of passages. Hopefully you all have your Bibles or your Bible on your electronic devices. We will be jumping around over the next four weeks in a number of different passages. We're going to launch here in, in Romans chapter 15 verses 12 and 13. Because this is where hope really begins. 
Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, is actually quoting Isaiah, as we're going to see. He says, and again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, right now we stand before you asking by the power of the Holy Spirit that is indwelling every believer in this room or those watching online, that we would know your presence and experience that hope surging through us that would light the way of life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So one of the first places that we've got to take a look at is the condition of the heart. When you see a person that's hopeless... The hopeless person is always looking at the circumstances, the situations that are around them. Whether it's infertility, adultery, uh, cancer, or any of the other things that we saw in the video earlier. These are overwhelming conditions that seem to be out of our grasp of control that affect our lives within this. Now we got to go into the deep part of the person, a part that many of us don't like to go, and it's the heart. But we really have to look at the heart. And in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desired fulfilled is a tree of life. And as Solomon would write this, he talks about and describes the weary heart. The weary heart, the worn-out heart, is... A heart that has what's called soul sickness. Soul sickness. That's the weary heart within this. It's a sick heart that is frustrated because the expectations that they had was unfulfilled. Have you ever had that? An expectation. Here's an expectation that's unfulfilled. You get married to the one you love, and somewhere along the line they decide not to love you back. And they leave you. Your expectation was to be with them forever. And they bail out. Maybe an expectation that you had was to have children. You get married. You have two or three kids. You have the white picket fence. You have a lab. It's good. Life is great. All right, if you want a purse dog, that's okay too. But the reality is this, we set these expectations, but when those expectations that we have are unfulfilled, it can create soul sickness within us, a heart. And as this chronic condition of disappointment continues, it weakens the heart. It continues to wear on the heart because I have this expectation and it's unfulfilled and it's like, I'm never going to get that. And it just continues to weaken and weaken and weaken that heart. Creating chronic disappointment, chronic soul sickness. In contrast, though, in this proverb, it says, but the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Question. Where in the Bible do we see tree of life? You should know this. Two places. Genesis, at creation, and... Revelation. In Revelation, we see this 
tree of life. God created in the garden and He planted this tree of life. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of fruit of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And He said, you're out of here because I don't want you to eat the tree of life. I don't want you to continue in this condition. In fact, I'm going to transplant it. I'm going to take it back to heaven. In heaven, we have this tree of life. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is where? In the paradise of God. Soul sickness is a condition that exists on earth. It's a condition that happens in the sinful environment that we live in. Because... Sin is trying to rob us. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants you to be sick in your soul. But God says, no, there's a cure. And it's that, that, that cure is in heaven. That, that healing is in heaven. The tree of life is in heaven. To him that overcomes, gives us hope. We think about those that suffer on this earth, and we will suffer. And in this world, we will have tribulation. But Jesus says what? Be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome. In Revelation 2.7, he says, To those who overcome, I will grant the ability to eat of the, the tree of life. So you say, great, Carrie. When I get to heaven, then I'll be good. But what about now? There is a cure. Do you realize you can benefit from that tree of life now? But many still suffer. We think about soul sickness. And I thought, okay, well, what are some categories of this soul sickness? Modern soul sickness. Where we live right now. I looked up some statistics. And as you've heard me say before, you can Google just about anything. So I did. According to CDC, 15% or 3.7 million youth ages 12 to 17 are affected with depression. Do you get that number? 3.7 million youth are affected with depression, ages 12 to 17. In 2017, 20.6% adults were affected with depression. In 2023, the number rose to 29% of adults. This was a different number that I was not ready for. In 2017, 20.4 young adults, ages 18 to 29, were affected by depression. In 2023, that number increased to 34.4%. Astronomical increase in the ages of 18 to 29. Why that category? Because these 18 to 29-year-olds that are looking at the beginning of their life are looking at the world conditions and they have this expectation and then they know that this expectation is not going to be met. COVID was not our friend. The shutdowns and all the things that happened that destroyed and isolated people was not our friend within this, especially with our young people. CDC also states that in a lifetime, one in four adults will suffer from a diagnosable depression every year. 25%. Does our world today, our modern world today, have a condition, a chronic condition of soul sickness? Absolutely. Why? 
because we've pushed pushed Christ to the margins, we've taken God out of society, we've stopped bringing the source of hope to people, and people are struggling and they're hurting. The National Library of Medicine documents soul sickness as a legitimate disease. It is diagnosed and described as the feeling of hopelessness and helplessness. The symptoms of, according to the National Library of Medicine, the symptoms are very vague, unexplained, physical or emotional suffering that can't be described by words. Do you know people like that? Have you experienced that? Some doctors would say there's no cure for soul sickness. They've given it a label called failure to thrive. And we see people that actually die from soul sickness. Doctors say there's no cure. Is that true? No. Where can we go to find truth? God's Word. James chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility received note... The word implanted, note the words, which is able to what? Save your soul. What's the cure for soul sickness? The word of God. Where? Implanted in the heart. The heart that is sick needs the word of God. God's prescription for soul sickness is the word of God. God's prescription for the hopelessness of life is to bring hope, which is only found in the word of God. Within this. That's our modern condition. You say, well, yeah, life's gotten hard. Well, life was hard a long time ago. Israel suffered from soul sickness. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, we read this. And it's a very long passage, but I think we'll have it up there. You can follow along. It says this, and it's very common to read this at Christmas time. It says, but there will be no more gloom for her, talking about Israel, who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treaded the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali in contempt. But later he shall make it a glorious by the way of the sea and the other side of the Jordan and Galilee and Gentiles. The people who walk in what? Darkness will see a great light. Hope. There who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them and you will multiply the nations. You'll increase with gladness. They will be glad at your presence with gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor is the battle of Midian. For every boot of booted warrior in the battle of tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, for fuel, for fire. Why? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with, all, with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah 9 is given in the backdrop of the Assyrian attack that was going to happen ten years later on the nation of Israel up in the north. The Assyrians, they practiced what was called the scorched earth method of attack. They came in and they 
destroyed everything. They would come into the north and Zebulun and Nephtali and all of the ten tribes that would exist in the north and just come in and wipe them out, lead them out with hooks in their noses and, and destroy so many people. It was a horrible, horrible time within this. And the people were desperate. Why? Because of the dark days. Is that happening in Israel today? It absolutely is. We see Israel today under that same kind of dark days. We see those that are the, the Palestinians that are in Gaza that are under those days. Those are in the West Bank that are under those days. The Israel in the north under the missiles of Hezbollah happening today. Are they weary? They're weary of war. Think about how long Israel's been at war. Worn down. Why were they in this condition? Israel's lack of faith in the Word of God. Why did the Assyrians attack? Why did God allow the Assyrians to come in and punish the nation of the north, the ten tribes of the north? Even Babylon would come in on the south. Why? Because they turned their back on the Word of God and stopped obeying Him. And they became wearied because they removed their only source of hope. It wasn't God that walked away, it was man. Yet, God is faithful. And He provides hope in Isaiah chapter 9. It is referenced again in Matthew chapter 4 verses 15 to 16 at the birth of Jesus. Where it's in Matthew's account. It says, The land of Zebulun and Naphtali by the way of the sea... Beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death upon light, upon them a light dawned. And we know that to be Jesus. Why? Because He said it so. In John chapter 8, verse 12, He says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the what? Light of the world. And he who what? Follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's hope. The promise of hope is to follow Jesus. If you're walking in darkness, you're there in a hopeless situation like a blind person that's going through a, a field of traps. You're going to fall. Something's going to bite you. But Jesus gives sight. He illuminates the situation and will walk with you within this. In verses 3 through 5, in, in that passage, in Isaiah, it talks about this freedom. Notice it went from darkness to joy, from despair to peace. Why? Because God said, I will bring you hope. I will bring you a child that will establish a kingdom that will last forever. I will bring you hope. And deliverance for Israel that was the Messiah. Do you know Israel today is still looking for the Messiah? Jesus has come. They've rejected the hope and the ability to have hope. They, they missed it. How do we know this is Jesus? Well, and it's not a condition. Because Isaiah says hope has a name. Do you notice the names? They're very important. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. These are divine names, and these are authoritarian names. 
And God says that when he comes, when Jesus comes, he is God in the flesh. Jesus came incarnate. And when he comes, he will establish his kingdom. That is his second coming. We know that Jesus has already come. And we're looking forward to his second coming. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Today would be a good day, wouldn't it? That would it'd be amazing. It would be super cool. I wouldn't have to go Christmas shopping. <laughs> we think about this. The promise that was given to us. Isaiah 7, 14 to 16. Another passage we read. And we have to understand it in light of Isaiah and the times. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means what? Everybody knows this? God's with us. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough and refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and good, the land which two kings will be forsaken. And we know that to be a near prophecy fulfilled and concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The uniqueness of this child. He will fulfill what's called the Davidic covenant. How do we know that Jesus came? Because he fulfilled all of the prophecies. Over 369 different prophecies were fulfilled at the coming of Jesus. He fulfilled the Davidic covenant. In 2 Samuel 7, 12-16 says this, When your days are complete, you lie down, God speaking to David, through Samuel, he says, I will raise up to your descendants after you. You will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the root of men and the strike of the sons. But my loving kindness shall not depart me as I took away from Saul. So I remove before your house and your kingdom shall endure for me forever. Your throne will be established forever. This was not just about Solomon. This was about Jesus. It's imperative we understand that God does not want us to live a hopeless life. That throughout His Word, He has been giving to the nation of Israel the reason why you should have hope. Why? Because they were going to get pounded. And it would be difficult. The most important part of that Isaiah 9 passage is the last line where it says, And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. What does that mean? The zeal of the Lord. That means God is passionate to fulfill His promise. And if God is passionate to fulfill His promise, can anything stop it? No. So don't lose hope. God is still working in the nation of Israel. Do you believe that? Think about this. This little postage stamp of a country right now is existing because of the zeal of the Lord. His will will be done. So then we think about our passage that we read earlier, Romans chapter 15, 12 to 13. The Gentile condition. Do Gentiles have a weary soul? The answer is absolutely yes. The early church was persecuted heavily. In Rome, Christians were tormented. Paul was writing to them to give to them hope because they struggled within this. And Paul sought to give them this hope where he says, and again, Isaiah, and he quotes, and it's important to understand this, he quotes the promise to Israel 
the Jews to Gentiles. This will blow your mind. Do you realize that your hope as a Gentile is grounded in the Jewish hope of the Messiah? It is the same promise of hope. Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 11.10 from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, within this. And he says the Gentile hope is based on the Jewish hope. It's not two different promises. It's one promise. That Messiah Jesus is that promise. First promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, 18. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. God does not want man to live hopeless. As he works out his plan of redemption, he promises hope and all hope is grounded and founded in Jesus. Paul's prayer is that we would experience that hope. That we would have that, that hope. And it's important to understand for the Gentiles, it's different than the Jews. For the Jews that have rejected Jesus, they live based off of an Old Testament promise and hope. Which is fine from the standpoint of it's pointing towards Messiah Jesus. But for the Gentile, there's something different. Do you realize you're different? <laughs> Most of you are. but Why are you different? Paul says it here, because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Pay careful attention to the passage. He says this in his prayer, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, how? In believing. Or what? In faith. So that, that henna clause, purpose clause, you will abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that you already have the source of hope indwelling in you. Access to that hope is by faith. That the Holy Spirit dwelling in you will give you that hope that you need. Hope is made possible through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why is the weary world hopeless? Because they are spiritually dead. And the spiritually dead will live a hopeless life. They will not have the capacity to generate hope. Only the believer can. Because if all hope is in God, and it is, and it's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of your salvation, and He is, then you can be sure that God is going to affirm your future. And whatever that looks like. Hope is empowered by the presence of Christ and the power of the Spirit in the believer through relationship, Colossians chapter 127, note, to whom God willed to make known what the riches of his glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Is the Holy Spirit indwelling in your life? As the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit indwells in your life, you can live a hope 
spirit-filled life by faith. Now you say, well, I'm a Christian. How, how, how is it that I'm hopeless? How is it that I'm depressed? How is it that I'm despaired? A couple of different things can happen. One, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, if you cut off the source of the inspiration in your life, you will end up hopeless. You could lean to your own understanding and, and stop acknowledging God, much like Israel did, and end up in a hopeless situation. There is the physical aspect where, where mental health conditions are legitimate physical conditions. Where we struggle, where the brain chemistry and the things that work aren't working like they should. And there'll be a struggle. But does that mean that you're lost to that condition? The answer is what? No. Get the chemistry right and get the heart right. Work it out within this. It, it's not just the hope of salvation for the Gentiles. It's hope for peace now. And interesting, Paul brings in the for the Gentiles. Here's your hope. It's the peace of unity for Gentile and Jew to come together in one hope and one promise. Jesus Messiah is not the Jesus Messiah of the Jews alone. But Jesus Messiah is the Messiah for all mankind within this. And the means for hope is via the Holy Spirit. The thrill of hope is this. The thrill of hope is this. When the sick soul is healed. That's the thrill of hope. It's the thrill of that healing. So what about this weary world? How do we get there? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, present tense, right now, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained our introduction to faith and into this grace in which we stand. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, what? Hope. And hope does not what? Disappoint. Because, why does hope not disappoint? The love of God has been, what? Poured out within our hearts through whom? The Holy Spirit. Paul was writing to this church in Rome and to the Gentiles to us that hope begins in justification. What does that mean? Justify and not sin. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for our sin. Cleansed us with His righteousness. Took His holiness and put it on my account when God sees me, he, God sees me pure. We're going to celebrate communion in a moment. And when we do, this is the memorial that reminds us of that. It reminds us of the fact that our sins have been paid for. We've been justified. Why is it that you can have hope to stand before a holy God and not be incinerated? Because Jesus paid the price. And having paid that price and justified, he's given us this peace with God. Not only the justification, but peace with God means relationship. It's not just the peace of God, but it's peace with God. Because prior to having your sins forgiven, you're at war with God. Question. Is the world at war with God? Yes. 
They are. And anyone that rejects this forgiveness is at war with God. Anyone that rejects and remains in their sinful condition is at war with God. Because God wants to be at war with them? No. God wants peace with them. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus. God wants to be at peace with mankind and creation, and He's offering it. But if you reject it, you get what you get. We look at this and we think about this. God desires this relationship. And it's a hope that, that is not superficial. It's not some kind of emotional optimism. That could... But I love the last part of this. Verses 4 and 5. It's a hope that does not disappoint. When we think about this, what, is, what does it mean? When you look at the word disappoint in Greek, it, in, and it's a really kind of weird word, it means it's a hope that does not lead to disgrace. What would it be like to put your faith and trust in Jesus and go through hell on earth and then get to heaven and God says, oh, just kidding. That would be disgraceful. But being a Christian today in this world, a lot of people want to bring disgrace upon you. You believe in Jesus? You believe in a myth? You believe in the Bible? It was written by a bunch of men and a bunch of people? And the world wants to disgrace you for your faith. Paul says, whether it's through tribulation or, or perseverance and all of these things, the end result of keeping the faith is hope. And in the end, when you stand in heaven before a holy God, and He looks at you perfect, and He says, welcome home, there is no disgrace in that. And that hope becomes very real. That hope is fulfilled. And there is no disgrace for the child of God that stands before a holy God even today. And it doesn't disappoint. When we are in that place of, of just trusting in God. I love this statement. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us this hope. This hope. You know what that means? The love of God that is poured out into our hearts. That means that hope is refreshed every day. That the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that hope is refreshed and renewed every day. How? Back to James through the Word of God. Back through God speaking to you. The cure for the sick heart the soul sickness is continually being washed in the Word of God where that hope is made fresh every day. Years ago, someone told me this. He said, I don't want to become a Christian. All you Christians are brainwashed. My response to him was this. At least I know who's washing my brain. <laughs> the thrill of hope is when the sick soul becomes healed. When does that happen? When you open up your soul and say, God, I'm sick, I'm hurting. 
I need healing. Will you forgive me? Will you wash me and make me clean? Will you adopt me as your child? And as I walk in this this world that wants to make me weary, will you freshen my soul every day? And every day, that thrill of hope is made new when you experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to study your word, to be in this place, to know you. God, so many times we see in this this world and people that are walking around like walking dead, like zombies. Hopeless, lifeless, hurting. Looking for solutions in all the wrong places when the solution is right before them. It's you, Lord Jesus. God, you desired to be in relationship with us. You desire to heal the sick soul, the weary heart, to give hope. And the night before you died, Lord Jesus, you set your disciples down and you gave them these communion elements in common, the bread and the cup. And these elements would continue to refresh the sick soul that is so sad of the world that's around. To say, yes, this bread reminds me. That my sins are paid for. That Jesus, you took care of it at the cross. This cup reminds me of the blood that was poured out to wash me and make me clean. This morning as we celebrate communion. As the elements are passed out. Ask yourself a couple questions. Have I asked you, Lord Jesus, to heal my soul? If not, do that. Have you turned away from God into rebellion and rejection and your sick soul is sick because you've turned away from God? Return to Him. And celebrate these these elements. If you're not honoring Jesus by taking these elements, then don't take them. Because they have no meaning for you. But even right now, pray in your heart of hearts, Lord Jesus, Heal my soul. Fill me with your spirit, that Holy Spirit you would indwell in me and refresh me this day. We thank you. As the ushers hand out all the elements, hang on to them until everybody's been served. We'll take them together at the end.
So I'll stand before the Lord. God, we thank you for this bread that we're about to receive and all that it means. And we will, we will spend eternity coming to terms with what does it mean to have sins forgiven? What does it mean to have you, Lord Jesus, leave your throne in heaven, add to yourself humanity, live on this earth, and die a sinner's death, to be buried in a tomb and three days later rise again, conquering death, returning to your throne in heaven, waiting to greet us in person. It blows my mind. So all I can say is thank you. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for the hope that this bread provides. A hope that will never disappoint. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all take the bread together. God, we thank you for this cup. That it's a constant reminder of an eternal hope that is fulfilled in heaven. And as we walk this earth and live this life, we know that in this world we will have tribulation. But the cup reminds us that we are forgiven and we are redeemed. We stand before a holy God right now, pure never to be condemned of any sin because of what you, you did, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. You shed your blood, paying the penalty for our sin, giving us peace with God. We thank you for this cup and all that it means. May you bless it to us as we are blessed already. In Jesus' name. As an act of worship and response, on the first Sunday of the month when we have communion, we respond with a benevolent offering. It's an offering, free will offering, as God puts it on your heart, you can give. This offering is set aside to help people in need. And as the ushers come forward this morning, I'd like to pray over that offering. God, we thank you for this offering. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that's been shown towards us. And may we be merciful towards those that need mercy. Use these resources for your kingdom's sake. May you be honored by the gift and the giver. And may every dollar meet the needs of people. Whatever that need is, we thank you, God, that we can do that. From you, through us, your love to those that are hurting. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look your name into the night.
thank you for the hope that you provide to us, within us, by your Spirit. We can look inwardly, even though the world around us is crashing, we can look inwardly and be refreshed by you, Holy Spirit. We can be inspired as we bathe ourselves in your word and promises. As we look to you, Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. May we bring this message of hope to a weary world. May we be that light in a dark place. 
Lead us, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.